Contemplations before chanting. The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that our collective energy of mindfulness will bring us together as an organism, going as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, chant as one body, listen as one body, and transcend the boundaries of a delusive self, liberating from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
morning, dear Sangha. Today is uh, the 3rd of January in the year 2013. We are in the upper hamlet in the still water meditation hall during our winter retreat 2012 and 2013. Monani. There is a sutra, a scripture on the practice of the contemplation of the body, in the body. The body is uh, a subject of meditation. And we can get uh, enlightened, we can get liberated just by looking deeply into our body. It's a big subject of meditation. One time there was uh, a god whose name is uh, Rohitasa. Came and he came and visited uh, the Buddha during the night. And he asked the Buddha this question, Dear teacher, is it possible to get out of this world? This world full of miseries, misery, suffering, <coughs> birth and death being and non-being. I have had enough of this world. I would want to get out. From time to time, there are people like that among us who do not want to to continue like this, who want to get out. Stop the world, I want to get out. Is it possible, dear teacher, to get out of this world by the way of traveling? And the Buddha said, no, it's not possible. Even if you go with the speed of light. And Rohitasa said, dear teacher, you are right. In former lives, I have tried to get out of this world by, by, by traveling. I did not uh, eat, I did not sleep. I wanted to get out of the world as soon as possible, but I died before I got out. So, you have told the truth, it's not possible to get out by the way of traveling. But the Buddha said that, uh, but it is, there is a way to get out of this world of birth and death of misery, and that is uh, to look into your body. Just look into your body, and if you have enough uh, mindfulness concentration, and you get insight that help you to to get out of the world of suffering. And that is why the 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 meditation, the contemplation on the body is a very important um, topic, an uh, important uh, uh, subject, object of uh, meditation. Uh, when we look into our body, we can see the four elements, the element of water, 
They are made of water. They are made of air. They are made of uh, uh, earth. They are made of heat. And we know that these uh, elements are also outside of uh, the body. And there is a circulation of these four elements always in and out. And when you look into your body, you might notice that uh, there are there are uh, six uh, sense organs that can serve as the base uh, to produce uh, the six kind of consciousness. And you can see, you can hear. You can taste, you can think. There are wonders of life within uh, your body. And if you look into your body, you see that your body is not a self. It is a community. In the present moment, it is a community of many cells. Not only human cells but non-human cells as well. And as a biologist, you may see that the number of human cells in our body is, is uh, just one-tenth one of uh, the number of cells. Non-human cells are within us, and they coexist with us. And without them, it's difficult for us to continue. And these non-human cells, they, they are there not only between ourselves, but inside of ourselves. I think uh, science, biology, can help us um, understand better, uh, more deeply the teaching of the Buddha, and can help us in, uh, in meditation also. So we are not a self, we are a community, a community of cells and not only human cells, but non-human cells as well. And these kind of things can help to understand better the teaching of no, no self. And then when we look into our body, we see our ancestors. Uh, usually we think that our ancestors have died. But in fact, they are still alive. They are alive in every cell of our body. They continue. And thanks to us, they continue and go to the future. So we carry all of them with us into the future. And wherever we go, they go with us. In Asia, people believe that wherever the children are, the ancestors are also. Cha mẹ ở đâu, con cái ở đâu thì tổ tiên ông bà ở đó. Wherever you go, your ancestors go with you. And with this uh, practice, uh, we know that when we walk, all our ancestors walk at the same time. And when we breathe, all our ancestors breathe with us at the same time. 
This is not, there is no individual that is uh, breathing or walking. But the whole lineage of ancestors that are breathing in and out with you, that is an uh, insight, that is a kind of insight that can help us get out of uh, the notion of uh, self. We do have uh, human ancestors, but we have also animal ancestors. And that can easily be seen. We also have uh, vegetal ancestors and uh, mineral ancestors. And that is not only uh, the past. We continue to carry all our ancestors in us. If uh, we do not do meditation, then we think that uh, this body belongs to us. There is a self, then there, is, uh, there are things that belong to self. And we believe that this body is one of the things that belong to ourselves. But according to the Buddha, that self does not exist. That individual self does not exist. You are the continuation of your ancestors. You do not have a separate self. Everything you do, your ancestors do at the same time. Every good thing you do, your ancestors do with you. Everything that is not good that you do, your ancestors also do with you. So you are responsible. And when you commit suicide, all your ancestors die. And that is why uh, the act of uh, suicide is not uh, an act of uh, kindness towards our ancestors. When when you walk mindfully, and if you feel the freedom, the, the joy of walking on earth, and then all the ancestors in, in you also enjoy that step. There is a need of liberation. There is need for liberation. There is need for uh, nourishment. There, there is a need of healing for our ancestors. Our ancestors uh, do have the need to get liberated. In their life, lifetime, they may, have, may not have had the chance to liberate themselves. So the dream to be liberate, liberated is still there with them, and that is in us. And our ancestors uh, have the wish to be nourished and to be healed also. So that, uh, that wish to be nourished and to be healed is still there in our body. We have to recognize that wish, that need. And if we, we want, we can satisfy our ancestors. We will tell our ancestors that since we have had the chance to encounter the Buddha Dharma, we know the way to nourish ourselves. We know the way to heal ourselves and we know the way to liberate ourselves.
Because with the, the Dharma, with the practice, we can do that for us. It means for all our ancestors. So if we just remember that, that our ancestors expect us to live our daily life in such a way that can help them liberate it, that can help them nourish and heal. If we can remind of that one thing, then we will be full of energy and we will be able to practice the Dharma in such a way that is full of love. Because we do it not for a separate individual, but we do that for the whole lineage of ancestors. So I do not want to deprive my ancestors of the nourishment. Therefore, uh, every time I walk, I nourish my ancestors with my steps. If I get uh, freedom, uh, uh, joy, uh, peace with every step, and then I feed my ancestors with uh, freedom, joy, and peace. So you don't want to deprive your ancestors of peace, of joy, of uh, freedom. So you walk for your ancestors. You walk for your mother. You walk for your father. Your father may have not been able to encounter the practice. Now, uh, you know how to walk. And every step can nourish you, nourish your father, nourish your grandfather, and so on. It's very kind of you to nourish your father, your ancestors. When we sit down and have lunch together, we are nourishing our ancestors. It's very, very clear that every mouthful of uh, food that we, we chew, we, that is for our ancestors to survive also within us. So let us not deprive uh, our ancestors of the food we need. Not only edible food, but other kind of food as well. Our ancestors might not have had a chance to sit uh, <coughs> relaxingly, doing nothing, just getting in touch with the wonders of life. They were, they, maybe they were so busy to do that. So now, as we have encountered the Dharma, uh, we can do it for them. We can sit in such a way that our ancestors in us can be relaxed, can get in touch with the wonders of life around us. We know that uh, in order to be at peace with uh, the other person in our relationship, we have to be at peace with ourselves. We have to understand ourselves. We have to reconcile with ourselves. We have to accept ourselves. Many of us are still not able to accept themselves as they are. To accept themselves as the, they are, they accept their ancestors at the same time.
our ancestors had uh, talent, strength, but also weaknesses. And we had to accept them as they are. And if we know how to accept our ancestors with their strength and weaknesses, we can accept ourselves. Because we are our ancestors. So let us tell our ancestors that we accept them as they are. Dear ancestors, I know you are there in every cell of the body. This body is not my body. It is also your body. You are my ancestors, and I accept you as you are. That is a very important step. And when we accept our ancestors like that, including our father and our mother, we have peace. And as we have peace, they have peace. So simple. And when we do not have any conflict anymore with ourselves, we are in good terms with ourselves. And when we are in good relationship with ourselves, and then it will be much easier for us to be in good terms with the other person, accepting oneself, and then you can accept the other person easily. Our body is a treasure. Our body is an heritage. Our body body is a wonder. But sometimes we forget that. We mistreat our body. We despise our body. We don't see that our body is a wonder. And we eat, we drink, and we make use of body in such a way that does not uh, show respect to our body. That does not that that does not show respect to our ancestors as well. And that is why to be kind to our ancestors, to show our respect to our ancestors, you have to show we have to show respect to our own body. There is a Buddha in the body, and the kingdom of God is also in the body. And that is why the Buddha said to Rohitasa, just look into your body. And when you got the insight about your body, you touch the world of no birth and no death. You touch Nirvana, you touch the kingdom of God in yourself. And you don't have to travel in order to get out of this uh, miserable world of birth and death. Rohitasa in Vietnamese, Mạ Thắng, Mạ Huyết, Mạ Huyết Thiên Tử, Mạ Huyết Thiên Tử. It is possible for us to learn, to train ourselves to live in such a way that can help uh, liberate our ancestors, that can help nourish and heal our ancestors in us. 
and they may like to do it together as a Sangha. We, have, we are talented in organizing and let us uh, use our talent to organize our life in such a way that we can live together and we can support each other in living that kind of life that we want to live in such a way that peace is possible uh, with our ancestors and peace is possible with the other person, the other people around us. So whenever I walk, whether from my hut to the meditation hall, or from uh, the parking lot to uh, 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 the place uh, I work, I can walk in such a way that every step can bring freedom, can bring joy and happiness. And this is possible. There were times in the past when we were able to make such steps. As a free person, we just enjoy every step. We can walk like a Buddha. We can walk like a Bodhisattva. Do not, uh, not thinking, not talking, but just uh, experiencing the joy of being alive and walking on this beautiful planet. And while walking, we see our uh, intimate relationship with uh, Mother Earth, with Father Son. <coughs> we see the, the presence of Mother Earth is our presence. The presence of uh, the Sun is our presence. The source of light, the source of uh, food, the source of uh, beauty, the source of uh, joy. And because we do not have, uh, we did not have enough mindfulness, we ignore all these things. But with uh, mindfulness and concentration, every step, um, every step uh, put us in touch with the wonders of life on earth. Uh, with uh, the wonders of life in the cosmos. And every step like that set us free, free from our worries, from our forgetfulness. Uh, and that is why it is possible for every one of us to learn how to live our life in such a way that every moment of our daily life can be nourished, can be healing, can be liberated. Every one of us has the seed of liberation in us, the seed of uh, nourishment and healing in us. And if we allow these seeds to be watered, and then they will be transformed into energy. And we can leave uh, the energy, we can generate the energy of liberation, of joy, of peace, every moment. In the Buddhist tradition, 
you learn that uh, the Sangha is important. The seat of uh, goodness, the seat of joy and peace in you uh, stand for Buddhahood, the nature of Buddha in you. So you don't have to look for the Buddha elsewhere. Because all of us have uh, the seat of uh, goodness, the seat of uh, compassion, the seat of uh, liberation in us. Uh, Nirvana is inside. The kingdom of God is inside. (coughs) The Dharma is also in us. We have a practice. We have a practice that allowed us to touch the wonders of life in every moment of our daily life. We have a practice that can help us uh, take care of the afflictions, of the anger, of the fear when they manifest. We can very well use the, 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 the energy of uh, mindfulness in order to embrace, to recognize and embrace our pain, our sorrow, and help bring um, relief. We can handle our suffering. We, with, our, with a good practice, we can very well generate a feeling of joy. A, a generate a feeling of happiness whenever we want to. And this is uh, possible with uh, everyone. When we, when we have uh, the energy of mindfulness, we can be in touch with the conditions of happiness that are available in the here and the now in us and around us. There are plenty of them inside. There are plenty of them around us. And mindfulness helps us to recognize them. The conditions of uh, happiness, the conditions of joy that are there. It's like uh, my eyes. is a condition of happiness. Because of uh, the fact that I have eyes still in good condition, I can get in touch with the paradise of forms and colors that is available in the present moment. The beautiful hills, the beautiful trees, the blue sky, the rain, all of that are available to me because I have eyes and ears. And... uh, to bring in a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness is always possible with mindfulness. That is why we say that mindfulness is a source of happiness. From the source of uh, mindfulness, you can draw many uh, beautiful, pleasant uh, feelings, (coughs) happy feelings. And we can create uh, feeling of joy and happiness for us and we can offer feelings of joy and happiness for other people and we can uh, offer uh, offer uh, um, joy and happiness to our ancestors inside of us this is possible 
and then the, that is the Dharma. We have the Buddha in us, and we have the Dharma that has handed down to us by many generations of teachers. And if our practice is solid enough, we don't have to worry anymore because we know how to handle a suffering. We know how to generate a happiness. That is the Dharma. And the Sangha, the Sangha is a group, a community of people who want to live the same way, who want to who are capable to recognize the Buddha within themselves, who have uh, a practice and who would like to live together and supporting, support each other in order to, to, to practice. And each of us um, may use our talent in order to organize uh, a group of people. We can transform our family into a sangha. We can organize a group of people in our neighborhood in order to do walking meditation together, sitting meditation together, uh, enjoy a mindful meal together, and resist the tendency to lose ourselves in our daily life and to lose ourselves in despair, in anger, and so on. This is a resistance. We have to organize a resistance in order to remain ourselves and to keep our practice uh, alive. Last time we spoke about um, the <coughs> conventional truth. And also the, the, the absolute uh, truth. And on this uh, level of truth, called uh, conventional truth, we have uh, you and I as uh, two separate uh, entities. You are only you, and I is only uh, me. You have... uh, you have, uh, we have uh, birth and death. We have being and non-being. So there is a language. There is a language. And there are concepts. 
and our language uh, are based on these concepts. And the Buddha also used that kind of language and used these kind, these kind of concepts also. For instance, when he told Ananda, his, his assistant, Ananda, let's go up to the hill and enjoy the landscape there. So he used the word, uh, you and I uh, go to the hill. So there is uh, Ananda and there is the Buddha as two separate uh, 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 entities. But uh, on the level of the Absolute Truth, there is uh, no, no I and you anymore. In the, uh, in, on the level of Absolute Truth, you see the, the Father and the Son. Not as uh, two separate entities. Because uh, with meditation, you look deeply and you see that the Father and Son, they inter are. You cannot take the Son out of the Father. And you cannot take the Father out of the Son. On this level, it looks like possible that you separate the Son from the Father. The son is in New York and the father is in Boston. That is possible. But on this level, the son cannot be removed from the father and the father cannot be removed the son. Look at the son. Can you remove the father from him? No. You cannot remove the father from the son. If you remove the father from the son, the son collapses that is interbeing. It's clear and it is understandable also. Here you have the principle of identity. Father can only be father. Son can only be son. You cannot mix up. And that is why every one of us has uh, an identity card. And when we travel, we need to show our ID. So that kind of truth has, uh, is useful also, is useful also. But when you go to this uh, level of truth, you go deeper. And the principle of identity no longer works. You cannot take the son out of the father and the father out of the son. The sheet of paper has the recto and the vexo, this side and the other side, the left and the right. And the, uh, so in principle, the left can only be, be the left, and the right can only be the right. But looking deeply, you know that left and right, they lean on each other's 
to be. You cannot separate the left. You cannot ask someone to come here and take the left and go to Bordeaux. And someone else to come and take the right to go to Toulouse. Not possible. Because they want, they like to be together. You cannot remove uh, the left from the right and the right from the left. So that is why the Buddha has invented uh, the, the notion of interbeing. They cannot be by themselves alone. They have to interbe. Co-being. They cannot be. They can co-be only. And if we look at everything in the cosmos, we discover the same. Like a flower. A flower cannot be by herself alone. A flower does not have a a self-identity, uh, self-nature, a separate existence. A flower is made only of non-flower elements, like the cloud, the rain, the soil, the grain, and so on. And if we remove all these non-flower elements, the flower collapses. It's like uh, when we remove the father from the sun, the sun collapses. So a flower cannot be cannot be by herself alone. A flower has to interbe. Interbe. In fact, to be is impossible. To interbe, that is possible. But in the dictionary, there is only to be. So things inter-are, like uh, the above and the below, the left and the right. Suppose you, you hate uh, the right, you only want to keep the left. You are a politician, you belong to the left, and you want to remove the right. And you use uh, a knife in order to Cut, cut the right arm. But as soon as you remove this portion, you call the right, and this becomes the right. <laughs> so it is because of the right that you, the left, can exist. So you are smart enough not to have the willingness to make the right disappear because the right is, if the right disappear you the left you disappear at the same time the right and left into R and there is a, a path leading us to this level of, uh, of truth where we can transcend all notions of birth and death, being and non-being, and you and I, father and son, and so on. And this winter 
in this winter retreat, we have been uh, learning about this. In the domain of science, there is a classical science represented by Newton. They set up law governing the world. And this, uh, this law can be applied you can make use of the truth discovered by classical science. It is represented by Newton. But now we have quantum physics. That is discovering other kind of truth. And it seems to contradict the truth. Uh, that we have found in classical science. <coughs> Suppose we talk about uh, uh, wave uh, and particle. Up here, a wave can only be a wave. A wave cannot be a particle. You can only, you can be either a wave or a particle. You can be only the sun. You cannot be the father at the same time. And yet on this level of truth, that, that, uh, that uh, entity, called an elementary particle, sometimes it behaves like a wave. And we can correctly call it a wave. And, and sometimes when you observe, it behaves like a particle. So they, they are at the same time, wave and particle. And so uh, they create uh, a new word. <laughs> Wavico, wavico. And where, wherever, uh, wherever we call it wave or particle, a wavico, they are just uh, appellation, uh, designation. in appellation uh, conventional, conventional designation. When you study Buddhism, you can see also these two kinds of truth. There is a conflict conventional truth and uh, absolute truth. On this level, you have, uh, you have uh, 
You have a being and non-being. You have birth and death. You have uh, the actor and the receiver. And you have uh, you have uh, the conditioned and the non-conditioned. But on this uh, level, you have uh, the not born, not being, not born, not made, and not conditioned. There is one uh, one uh, sentence quoted from the Itivutaka in Chinese. Uh, in Chinese, it is written like this. addressing the monks. Monks. You can see 
there is uh, something that is born. There's something that uh, exists. There is a doer, an actor, and there is a conditioner. But looking deeply, you see that there is also a version But there is also, there is a not born, not being, not made, and not conditioned. This is a famous quotation from the Itivutaka, the Udana. And this is uh, also available in the Chinese uh, scriptures. <clears throat> in the pan, in the Pali, Hati, Bikave, This is uh, the condition. Non-conditioned. Non-made. Non-becoming. Not born. So in this uh, level of uh, conventional truth, there is uh, which is born, which does exist, which is uh, doing things and receiving the, the fruit of adaption, and there are conditioned uh, uh, things. But if you look deeply into what is born, what is uh, existing, what is acting, and what is conditioning, 
you discover the nature of uh, no birth, no being, no acting, and no conditioning. So the two kinds of truth seem to contradict each other. It's like on this level, we see that the father is not the son. You can you can make the father and son uh, apart. Uh, you can take them apart. But here, looking into the son, you see that the father is in the son. You cannot take it out. <coughs> so the first uh, the first uh, the first thing is. Uh, being the first thing is uh, is a birth and if birth is there death is there birth is not death and death is not birth and we don't like death we only like birth but when you go into this uh, realm of uh, truth, you see then birth and death, they inter are. You cannot take birth out of death. You cannot take death out of birth. Without, uh, without birth, uh, death, birth cannot be possible. The birth of something means the dying of something. Without the dying of something, uh, birth is not possible. It's like the lotus and the bird and the mud. You cannot separate the two. Uh, you need the mud in order for the lotus to be possible. So, looking on uh, on the surface, you see that there are things that are born and die. There are things that come to existence and then disappear from existence. There are things there are things that are made and they are actor. They are perform, performer of action and they are the receiver, the recipient of uh, the action. You do something good, uh, you harvest something good. So the actor and the receiver and you also see and you, you, you also see uh, things, phenomena, uh, the condition, the conditions. Han, samskara, samkata is translated as formation. The, the formations. All formations are conditioned. This is a, a very good English word, I think. Everything is a formation. This marker is a formation. This hand is a formation. This flower is a formation. Because it is formed from many different uh, elements the coming together of many elements produce a formation. And a formation is also 
called a conditioned dharma. So on this level, we see there is birth and death, being and non-being, the actor and the receiver, uh, and the conditions, dharma. But looking deeply, we will discover another kind of truth that seems to be the opposite, but it is a truth anyway, and that it can also be applied. Like uh, you know, the the truth uh, discovered in quantum physics can be also applied. Although uh, sometimes they contradict the truth of uh, classical science. In the in the in the circle of science, nowadays people like to ask the question as how to connect the two kinds of proof. How you can you can you can understand the truth of quantum physics in connection with the the truth of classical science. But in Buddhism Already 2,500 years ago, the Buddha offered us a way to proceed from here to here without shock. (laughs) Going on this way, you you can still use concepts, the concept of the language that you use on this level. But you use them in such a way that you are no longer caught in these concepts and these, uh, in these words. And so you need a kind of wisdom, a kind of language, new language, new wisdom. And that wisdom is called the uh, wisdom of adaptation. Adaptation. Of adaptation. You use the same words here, but you use different way. You use the concept that are here, but you use in different way in order to skillfully lead people to this realm of, of, of truth. And uh, the teaching of, uh, of uh, dependent co-arising Duyên Khởi is such a method.
the Buddha said, this is because that is. This is not because that is not. You see, the Buddha still use the terms and the ideas that we use on this level, but he use in such a way that, that lead us away from that. You know, this and that. Usually it is a discrimination, this is not that. Father is not son. Left is not right. Eh? But this is uh, the teaching of uh, dependent co-arising interbeing. This is because that is. He used the notion of being and non-being. He still used the words of being and non-being. He still used the word this and that. But he used it in such a way, used them in such a way that lead us slowly away from the realm of the conventional truth. And uh, that is the wisdom of adaptation. Because uh, if you go to this uh, level of truth, this kind of language concept can never be used in order to describe it is like talking about God. You cannot use concept and language in order to talk about God and Nirvana. Suppose you have the notion of being and non-being. And on this level, being and non-being are opposites. If uh, if uh, you confirm the existence of being, you have to confirm the existence of non-being, and etc. And according to uh, to uh, right view. Sama Dristi Tenkien This is the first uh, element of the Eight Noble Path We have learned it uh, last week and the Buddha has defined right view is a view that is free from the notion of being and non-being. If you are caught by the notion of being and non-being, you are still here on this level of truth. You have not come to this level of truth. 
So the teaching of interbeing help you. You still use. You use a new a new concept, the concept of interbeing, in order to help uh, to help. Uh, to help uh, yourself and to help other people get out of the notion of being and non-being. Because uh, as you continue to be caught in the notion of being and non-being, you cannot get right view. That is why there must be some way in order to get away from the notion of being and non-being and the teaching of interbeing, the meditation on interbeing is very helpful. We still use the word being, but interbeing is not being. When we say that a flower cannot be by herself alone, a flower has to interbe with everything else in the cosmos. So we are, we are introducing the notion of interbeing that can help us get out of the notion of being and non-being. So interbeing is also belong to the skillfulness of the wisdom of adaptation. So in order to get out of uh, being and non-being, we use the method of interbeing. And when we got to it, we don't need to, to say anything anymore. Also, the middle, middle way. The middle way is a way of looking, a way of contemplating. So, so you you get free from from pairs of opposites. This is uh, the notion of uh, birth that uh, take along with it the notion of death. This is the notion of being that takes along with it the notion of non-being. And this is the notion of uh, the actor that take along the notion of uh, recipient, receiver. You do something. This is the teaching of uh, karma, the teaching of action, the teaching of uh, of uh, retribution. You do something good, and then later on, you you receive. You are you become the recipient of the goodness of the action that you have done. So there is the actor and the receiver. The actor is a takya, 
Dr. is the Takya. And the receiver is the Toya. And when someone asks the Buddha, is the actor and the receiver one person or two? The Buddha did not say anything. It's not easy to give an answer. Because this is a pair of opposite. To say that uh, the actor and is exactly the same person with uh, the receiver, you fall into the wrong view of uh, eternalism. You believe in a person. You believe in an immortal soul. Suppose you do something today, and 10 years later, you, you get the result. You receive the outcome of your action. And the question is that the one who acts and the one who receives the fruit of action are one person or, or two different persons. And this is the, the, the notion of sameness and otherness. If you say that the actor and the receiver are one, you fall into the view of sameness, which is the wrong view. And if you say that the actor, the, the one who acts and the one who, is, who will receive the fruit of the action are two different persons, you fall into another wrong view. That, that view is otherness. So the truth is not, is not either in sameness or otherness. <clears throat> and that is the middle way. The middle way is free from both uh, uh, extremes. Suppose now we ask this question very close. We have been a five-year-old child. And our mother may have taken a picture of us when we were a little boy or a little girl. And that is still in the family album. Now we ask, are we still the same person with the little boy or the little girl? You cannot say that you are the same person with that little girl or little boy. You are so different now. Your, your, your form, your body, your feeling, your perception, your mental formation, your consciousness are quite different from the five, uh, five groups uh, that constituted that five-year-old boy or girl. 
so you cannot say that I am the same, exactly the same person with that little boy or little girl. It contradicts reality. It contradicts the, the truth of impermanence. But you say that if you say that, no, I am not that little boy anymore, I am not lit, that little girl anymore, is also a wrong view. So, sameness is the truth, or otherness is the truth, is the truth. You have to get out of these uh, pairs of opposite, and that is the middle way. So if you think that uh, the actor and the receiver are one, you fall into, uh, into the notion of sameness, and you fall into the wrong view of eternalism. And if you ask the question, the little boy in me is still alive, is he still alive, or is he already dead? That is a question that you have to answer. You cannot see that he, he is, he still is. You might have the tendency to say he was. But it's difficult to say that he is. You think that you are, but not the little girl, little boy. And you cannot say that he is not. He's somehow alive. You are a continuation of little girl, little boy. So all answers are not, uh, risk uh, uh, put you into wrong view. So no answer is better. <laughs> and you are in a middle way. Middle way. So to be or not to be? That is not the question. <laughs> so the wisdom of adaptation can make use of notions and concepts in a very skillful way in order to lead us to the realm of the absolute truth where no concept can be used to describe. And uh, when you perceive uh, this, uh, this, uh, this truth, you are free, completely free from, from birth and death, from being and non-being, and so on. Scientists are struggling in order to find this kind of language, this kind of notions. But they are still caught very much in the notion of being and non-being. They can profit from this method in order to get free from these notions. The most outstanding scientists in our time still ask the question, why there is something rather than nothing? If there is nothing, it must 
simple. It's more, much more simple because there is something that is why it's so complicated. So that question means that the scientist is still caught in the notion of being and non-being. Why there is something rather than nothing? And they apparently believe in being. And if they believe in being, they believe at the same time in the opposite, which is non-being. They are caught in the notion of being and non-being. They have not got the right view. And if uh, if they are got they are got caught in the realm uh, in the notion of being and non-being, they are caught also in in the notion of beginning and ending, birth and death, the birth of the universe. That is why <clears throat> much much effort has been done in order to find out what is the beginning of the universe, the birth of the universe. And we, we, we create theories like the Big Bang and so on. And if we have Big Bang, and we, we have to think about Big Crunch. So I think uh, if the scientist is the same time, uh, at the same time a practitioner of meditation, it might help him. He can get rid of these notions and can proceed very quickly on the path of, of finding the truth. There is uh, the path many pairs of opposite, above, below, right and left, subject and object. Many of our scientists still are still caught in the notion of uh, subject and object. The, one of the questions they usually ask is, is the relationship between the subject and the object. And they apparently believe that the subject is something that can be detached from the object. They ask the question, they imagine the consciousness is something in in here, subjective, uh, reaching out in order to understand nature out there. So the in here and out there are different things. So there is a discrimination between subject and object. This is the greatest obstacle for of science for science now. In the, in the teaching, in Buddhist uh, teaching of the mind, we learn that uh, a perception is made of subject and object at the same time. Suppose we divide our perception 
we perceive the moon, we perceive the star, we perceive a tree, and that is a perception. And there are many conditions leading to a perception, like uh, the light, like uh, the eyes, the color, uh, the body, and there are many conditions. And when the conditions are sufficient, uh, a perception can take place. And millions of perceptions are taking place every hour in our daily life. Perceptions after perceptions, notions after notions, a river of perceptions flowing on all day long. So this is just one perception. And according to the Buddhist teaching, a perception lasts only for one millisecond. A flash and another perception may come and continue. So it is uh, our mind, uh, a series of perceptions. It's like like, like uh, cinematography. Uh, One perception uh, 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 comes after one uh, one perception and they give the 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 feeling that there is a, a perception that is lasting. But in fact, one perception takes only uh, one millisecond to be and give uh, the place for the next perception. A perception is, has on, always a subject and object. The seer and the seen, the perceiver and the perceived. And again, object and subject, they lean on each other to manifest at the same time like the left and the right. The left and the right. You cannot say that there is a mind without object that is in there and trying out to search for the object. It's not like that. There is nothing like that. Mind is not. Consciousness is always consciousness of something. Perceiving always means perceiving something. So subject and object manifest at the same time, leaning on each other like the left and the right. You cannot say that the left exists first and then create the right. It's not like that. In fact, subject and object happen at the same time. It's like when when I draw a line like this. The above and the below appear at the same time. And the above lean on the below to be, and the below lean on the above to be. So the same thing is true with our perception. Object and subject manifest at the same time. And without object, there is no subject. Without subject, there is no object. And this is one of the conditions called alambana, 
Alabana means uh, objects as condition, subject uh, as conditions. In Buddhist psychology, this called kiến uh, It's called a tưởng phần. This is called a nang. This is a sở. This is a dakshana. Baga. And this is a nimitta bhaga. And these two, they manifest at the same time. So thinking that there is a mind that is there first, reaching out to understand the object in nature, that is a mystic, the, the the biggest mistake. When we think of uh, God as the creator and his creatures, we might learn to to look in the way of the middle way. The creator and the creature, they manifest at the same time. If you, be, you believe that creator exists first, and then bring about the creature, you fall into a wrong kind of wrong view. Suppose you talk about father and son, and usually think that the father exists first, and then the sun exists later, a little bit later. But strictly speaking, before the coming of the sun, you cannot call him a father. Only when the sun appears, that the, that the father appears at the same time. Exactly like left and the right. So the same thing must be true with the creator and the creature. And we come to this uh, third truth. As we look into the sun, we see the Father. There are those of us who have not uh, seen our father because our father may die uh, when we were still in the womb of our mother. Uh, we lost our father when we were a baby. That is why we don't have a notion of our father. And the way of privilege is to, to urge these people to look into their body, into themselves. <coughs> And one thing is sure, your father is in you. And if you look deeply into yourself, you see your father. 
And that is not imagination. That is uh, the truth. That you are the continuation of your father. So Spinoza, when he looks at nature, he sees God. Not uh, behind, not outside, but see God right in nature. So his conclusion is, uh, God is nature. Spinoza came very close. He distinguished between natura, naturum, and natura, naturata. Natura, naturata is the creation, the creature. You look, you see the star, you see the moon, you see the sun, you see uh, life. And that is God. That is the visible, visible, visible part of God. And that is natura, naturata. And he said that you cannot, not nature, what you see there, cannot be conceived without God. Natura, natura, naturata is God. And it is visible, visible. Things cannot be conceive and sin outside of God, he said. But natura, natura runs, is invisible. And he conceived natura, natura runs as a, as a frequency. A free cause is a cause that is not caused by any other cause. So when you look uh, into natura, naturata, you may see, although it is invisible, natura, naturans, which is God, free cause. God is not only this, God is only this, uh, also this. Let us come to formations. Formation is a thing like uh, a flower. And the flower is made only of non-flower elements. So it is a conditioned 
You are made of non-you element. You are not made of non-you element. And the Sanskrit word is uh, Samskrita. Even if you are made of non-you element, you are contributing to make other things. You are not only conditioned, you are conditioning. Because uh, this is, because that is, this help the other, this help that to manifest, but that in turn help this to manifest. The left, the left help the right to manifest, but the right help the left to manifest. So you are both conditioner and condition, conditioned. And this uh, samskara. Han. So we may like to to apply this into creator and and uh, created creature. And we know that both uh, the notion of the creator and the notion of the teacher, they lean on each other in order to manifest. And uh, a Christian theologian may be invited to think of creation in terms of interbeing. Because there are two notions, the creator and the create, the creature. It looks like the creator is one thing and the creature is another thing completely outside of the creator. And in the light of uh, the middle path, uh, this is only uh, a pair of opposites. So this, uh, this meditation on the conditions help uh, help the Buddhist practitioners to get away from the last, the last discrimination. There are so many kinds of discrimination, birth and death, being and non-being, sameness and otherness, coming and going, and so. So the last kind of discrimination is between the conditioned Dharma and the non-conditioned Dharma. 
vô vi pháp và hữu vi pháp so all these uh, all these uh, phenomena are described as uh, conditioned dharmas <coughs> they are here on the level of uh, of the conventional truth all things including moon star you and i father and son uh, are formations that are impermanent and that is why when we look deeply <coughs> we see in them the, nat- the nature of no birth no death no being and non no being and this we call the unconditioned Nirvana. Nirvana is the ultimate truth. Here is uh, the world of being and non-being, birth and death. Here is the world of the transcend being and non-being birth and death. The world that this is the world where Rohitasa want to get out by the way of traveling. He is the the world of no birth and no death that he want to come. And the Buddha said you don't have to travel. You just look into your body and you discover the no, uh, the truth of no birth, no death, no being and no non being. You touch the ultimate, you touch the unconditioned, vo vi pháp. You touch the unconditioned. Here, there are only the conditioned. Here, you touch the unconditioned. And the Buddha said, there is a not born, not becoming, not made, and not conditioned. That is nirvana. So, conditioned and conditioned is the last pair of opposite. And that can be seen in, uh, in, uh, in the story of Rohitasa. The Buddha said, you don't have to travel. You just go back to your body. And you touch your body deeply and you discover the world of no birth and no death in it. You don't have to travel. So the conditioned and the unconditioned they are together. You should not discriminate nirvana and samsara. Samsara, samsara is the world of birth and death. And nirvana is uh, absolute freedom. So samsara and nirvana is the last pairs of opposite. And uh, it is in the teaching is it is said very clearly that you should not look for nirvana outside of samsara. You should not look for an unconditioned outside of the condition. 
you should not look for the no birth and no death outside of birth and death. So you remove the last pair of opposite, and therefore the four notions here are transcended entirely. Remember, the master Vung Phong told his disciple, if you want to get uh, to the world of no birth and no death, look for it in the world of birth and death. So the unconditioned, in the unconditioned, you, in the conditioned, you can find the unconditioned. And in Plum Village, uh, we used to meditate on a cloud. And if we look deeply into a cloud, we can touch the nature of no birth and no death of the cloud. A cloud can never die. And if you transcend the, the, the notion of birth and death, you transcend also the notion of uh, being and non-being. And uh, the conclusion of this talk is that there is a way. There is a way that leads you from the realm of the conventional truth to the realm of absolute truth. And the wisdom that uh, you may use to do that is called the wisdom of adaptation. <coughs>